Hello, and welcome to Building Your T-Shirt Empire. I'm Cole, and today I have Nicole Chang. Uh, Nicole, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for the industry. Great. Um, Thank you, Cole. So I help entrepreneurs and companies build creative business solutions to help them break through traditional barriers and kind of 10x their business. I've worked around the world, and I like to not only think that I help the company, but make a better impact on the world. My background is in economics from Harvard and my law and business degree from Stanford. And then specifically to this, which we're speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, I have uh, founded and run a few handful of companies myself. And right now I am also in the trenches with all of you small business owners. And I am a co-owner of a coding school for children, a franchise there. So since you have so much experience in business, and I'm sure you've had a lot of success, um, why even go with a franchise? Why not just focus on starting your own thing from scratch? You know, this was, um, I had had spent about 20 years abroad, and I came back into the U.S. a few years ago, and I was very interested in looking for a way to have my own business, but also um, play in a space that was really important to me. Um, And so as I started about, so I thought about starting a, you know, getting involved in this. Um, And then uh, for those of you who've started a business, you know how long it takes to get off the ground. So I thought I would go and do a franchise this time to just get a heads up, a lead up on that. And also um, one of the things about when you start a business you really are wearing all the hats and whether it is a hundred thousand dollar business or ten million dollar business sometimes it takes just as much work and so i wanted to like leverage that across a bigger base to get started so for just to give you an example let's say just for the marketing collateral you know i needed a lot of pictures to get going and that would involve you know getting a professional photographer, getting the rights to it, et cetera, et cetera, just to do like beginning brochures or things. And so um, with a franchise, that's all done for you. Um, and and so it kind of really allowed me to focus more on the business aspect rather than all the peripheral things that happen to go through with it. You know, the accounting systems, the uh, review sites, et cetera, et cetera. So for you, uh, it sounds like the marketing was an important focus to starting this new endeavor with the franchise. Is there like a standard you have for marketing or an expectation of quality that you have for marketing before you even present a business to the public? You know, Cole, that's a really interesting question because usually um, when one is starting a business or something, one focuses on the product, right? Because you're like, oh, this is the best thing and I'd like to share this with the community. But what I have found over the years is that you could have the best product and have the best um, and the product, I'm also talking about the service, etc. the best experience. But if you don't have the right marketing behind it, you might as well be on the moon, I sometimes say. Um, because, you know, yeah, you exactly. see so many, um, like if you go back to the physical retail space, I always like to do that, um, you know, the pre-COVID times, you see so many amazing like restaurants or retail places and they have this huge grand opening and oftentimes their opening is not so grand. Um, you know, it doesn't mean anything about their product. It just means that 
people haven't heard about it. And, and that really takes time. Um, and so that is, you know, if, if like, for example, if you're a distributor of a well-known product, like suppose one became a distributor of Nike products, like that practically sells itself because it's already a message to people. But if it's a not well-known brand, then it does take quite a bit of marketing to get one's self out there. I think there've been studies that it takes about seven encounters for someone to really kind of make that forward movement to, to try something like they have to, in order to get familiar. Um, and so, so that is, um, one of the reasons why I say this kind of marketing or brand awareness is extremely important. So I, I mean, a lot of our listeners are going to be pretty small businesses or even one man shows. Um, do you think that the answer is for them to create a budget that they can bring in professionals or what have you seen working that's kind of creative marketing without having the larger budgets? I would say that the best marketing um, I have seen is probably word of mouth. If I'm talking about not, not a lot of budget. So it's like word of mouth and one of the things that I like to say for everybody um, including myself and my staff, is that your consumer is number one, really. Like what you do to serve them is number one. Um, and without the consumer, there is really no business, if you will, right? And, and also your whole sense of purpose is to, you know, to help the, the end consumer meet their needs. So um, what I like to think about when starting a business is um, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I call it the hierarchy of consumer needs. Um, and so the very, very first level is the physiological needs of someone. So for example, um, you, you go back to, you know, what is kind of the niche market you're trying to serve and what is their biggest problem? So um, let's, let's speak specifically about t-shirts, okay? So, um, I would say that for some people, what they're looking for in a t-shirt is something to wear for casual Friday. They're looking for something that should be show that they're respectful to the person. They're looking for something that's uh, accessible in terms of price. Um, and so, um, if you see that and I'll just speak to other markets, you know, there's companies that have, um, healthy products at affordable prices. There's a, a, a brassiere company that has for smaller chested women. Um, you have like mud or something, which is coffee substitutes, right? So it's like a very specific um, niche market within there. Um, and then you're going to kind of the next day or up sort of say, does it satisfy the safety needs of that? And the safety in terms of the trustworthiness of the product. And by the way, you don't have to be writing this down. Anyone who might be interested, I will have um, this all in a PDF, which you can download from my website after. Um, we'll provide the link with this podcast. Um, yeah, that'll all be linked in the description. Right. So in the second level, after you kind of get to the physiological, you go to the um, safety needs or the trustworthy needs there. And so like if we go back to T-shirts... Um, a lot of concerns for people will be, does it serve its purpose that I'm looking for? Meaning, is it not see-through, um, if that's what I'm looking for? Or is it not too revealing? And then also, is the material, is it healthy? Um, you know, therefore, you're seeing a lot of bacteria-resistant, bamboo, t-shirts, etc., bamboo material. Um, and then level three, four, five, 
um, goes to kind of the love and belonging, the esteem and, and the self-actualization of that, um, which not all brands can get to, but that's a, a big desire, if you will. So now this is all going back to the marketing question. Um, so in terms of the marketing for a brand, I think it's important for in the marketing aspect to say, actually, what am I trying to solve for? And to kind of focus on that and at different stages in a brand's lifespan, will they be focusing on different things? But within marketing, um, I think it's your, your, it depends on what you're trying to market. Um, and then that will help kind of look within the budget or aspect. Um, and so I, I think it's, I, I think it's actually kind of fun to think about ways to, especially for smaller companies to think about marketing, but in a kind of clever and, and, um, not so expensive way. I mean, I, I think, uh, it's totally possible to do it without earmarking big budgets for this. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I saw that was kind of smart was while people, uh, still had to have masks in schools, but also basically in our industry, we all were stuck with like millions of masks because we had overbought. Um, what they did was they turned that into their marketing budget so they would slap their logo on the mask and then donate 2,000, 3,000 masks to the local public school. And you basically had every little kid in an elementary wearing your mask for free because they would just distribute them to the classrooms. Um, so even those kind of things where you basically failed by overbuying inventory can still be turned into something that's a promotional good um, in those kind of scenarios. And it's, it's basically something that would have been a write-off to begin with. Oh, no, that's a really, really clever idea. And I think that's that's a great thing. I think, uh, like, for example, at our um, coding school, we will be giving we give T-shirts away for our camps or some of our newer students and they love it. And also when they're wearing it, they themselves are kind of advertising for it. And and one of the things that we really focus on, and I think a lot of good brands do too, is thinking about like, how does it make you feel when you wear that? Like, can you identify with a sense of community or different things? Um, And so, uh, you know, for example, the name of our coding school is the Coder School. (laughs) <laughs> Pasadena, right? So it's very clearly coder with it within that. And I'm thinking of actually making t-shirts that specifically just say coder or I am this. I, rem- I remember that once um, my son, as he he's a filmmaker, but he was first starting out, literally got him a shirt that's a director. And then all of a sudden just putting it on made him feel so much more empowered. And I think that is when one can get past, you know, um, the, the lower level of needs of satisfying the needs of the actual physical product itself, then, then you're kind of going into this whole sense of community, um, self-actualization and that, and that's really beautiful for a brand. Tell me a little bit more about that because I know in the past you've worked with some really high level, uh, retail brands that are more luxury. Um, and so how do you think those retail brands are building a community and a following that's beyond just, Oh, I need a red t-shirt with a, you know, with a random logo on it. Why is it that people will pay so much for a Louis Vuitton and how are they cultivating that kind of um, loyalty? Yeah, well, I think, well, first off the, um, you know, if we, we, we kind of uh, will think about this 
in terms of like the whole customer journey here um, in terms and, and pretty much any product can be thought of that way. But so if we take, let's say, T-shirts specifically, um, if I were to say, well, what is that product? Right. So here you're saying red T-shirt. I think one would kind of go backwards and sort of say, OK, first off, you know, like what is that material made out of? Is this for male or is it for female or is it kind of more unisex, if you will? What is the cut of it? Um, and, and, you know, you know, based on, I guess there's a, why you have a difference in sections and, and, and then with, even within countries, right? There's a lot of, um, in Asia, the body proportions may be different than in North America, for example. So you look at the cut, the different styles, the patterns, I think like a company like Bape, you know, based on this camouflage pattern has made their, a lot of their brand. You look at what colors, the collar, the fit, the stitching, um, and sort of say those are so many components of what define the actual product. Um, and then you're looking at the distribution channel of the product. And with it, um, you will look at then the pre-service, the reviews, the delivery, the after service, what type of guarantee, you know, how easy is the return. So like this whole thing is just really just the actual product. And then it moves on to the messaging of it. So if I look at, so for example, um, um, let's say some of the luxury products you have, I'll, I'll talk about a scarf, right? I mean, that is a seemingly a very generic product, right? It's like a, a square piece yeah. of, or a rectangular piece of material, right? Okay, so after you get through the shape and what type of material, and what is the print, you know, one could see that as a um, very basic or one could see that as very like differentiated piece. And so one of the things, some of the things that I've seen that have made it differentiated, for example, is, you know, around a scarf, often there's that little roll that's like where it's stitched up around the corners. It's like kind of the, 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 uh, the, um, so if you, if you take a, let's a piece of material, you'll say, how is the edging done on that piece of material? Is it some of the, the times it's stitching done in a specific way or is there like a little curl up of the material that's done? Um, and then so some of the some of the curl up products, they are actually hand sewn. Um, and so any time for life of that scarf, um, you could bring it back to the company. And for a certain amount of some, they'll send it back to the factory and they'll like hand, they'll restitch it for you. Um, so that's kind of... Um, uh, the the notion a bit about like this is good, this you're not just buying a product for that time you're buying it for like this many years or for life if you will um, I think um, it was at the Rolex watch it sort of says think you know you're not just buying the watch you're buying you know fit for generations or a legacy product or a, a you know a, um, uh, a keepsake for many generations right so that's kind of the notion of a lot of these luxury products and how I think they've been able to kind of distinguish themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. And so do you think um, if you're like my business is essentially servicing those brands, do you think you can still apply some of those rules when you're kind of a back end business to business? Or do you think uh, there's something else that those type of clients are looking for? I mean, if your quality is there, and you assume you already have hit a standard, then how would you differentiate yourself beyond just being like a commodity service? You know, that's, I think that's a great question. So, so your business is like printing. 
on the material, right? So for when it, I, I imagine a lot of customers that come to you are not that knowledgeable about all the nuances of printing. So they might not be knowledgeable that when they say, okay, I want to print this logo on a shirt, they might not really think about, well, where exactly do you think would be most distinct to print it? So some would obviously say, okay, let's just print it smack in the middle, make it very conspicuous. But I think we all know as as t-shirt recipients, sometimes we don't want so conspicuous as, you know, like within that. And we maybe it's more versatile if it were on the sleeve in a different place, et cetera. And maybe looking, you know, it sends different messages where it's printing. So that to me would be like, if I call it the pre-service, I mean pre-printing, those would be things like... Um, that would be make a lot of sense. Or like, I imagine there's a question of embroidering versus printing, right? And people may not understand that, you know, after X number of washes or, or if it's too much in the sun, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that the, something might happen to the printing, et cetera. And so the brand underneath it has their, their, their impression. So like if you were doing t-shirts, I'll say for like Mercedes Benz, right? They probably would not want something done where after like five washes, you know, the t-shirt shrinks or like it starts fading off and peeling, etc. Right. But they may not know the questions to ask about, you know, what what this kind of the printing aspect. So I think to distinguish oneself, one would be looking to give exceptional service across the customer journey, saying these are the questions you should be asking and these are uh, like the pros and cons of different things. Um, and then um, then in terms of the delivery of it. So for example, um, you take a product company like uh, Cozy Earth, right, which has bamboo, kind of like they do a lot of sleepwear and different things. And so with, when they deliver the product, it comes in separate bags, if you will. And, and they're perfect for like when you travel, you can just put your sleeper in the bag or different things. And it tends to just give it a sense of feeling of like more completeness or it's a little bit more luxurious feel, et cetera. So you could imagine that in printing something, um, let's suppose you're printing a, um, a specific, let's say hats or certain things one could have suggesting like well maybe you also want to have a special bag that goes with the hat so people can travel with the bag or, or or a water bottle or whatever that kind of links with it so there and these are all things that someone like yourself would know because you've you've seen the thousands of cust happy customers with your product um and know you know the why they made certain choices and the consequences of those choices whereas someone who's more of a a neophyte in that may not quite know. Um, Do you think a it. lot of that information is something that you're creating as like content? Because obviously, uh, even if you have a good staff or whatever, you're only going to be able to talk to so many people in person versus presenting that kind of story out on social media. Um, you think that might be the better way to present all those uh, like pieces of information? Or do you think it kind of has to be a hand-holding, like, sales one-on-one -on -one conversation? Um, I, th I think, well, it depends. I mean, you have to pick your battles. But I do think that if, um, if one were, let's say, in printing or in the T-shirt business even, which is a very noisy market, I think that it would be, it's important to think about, like, what are the one or two things that 
you're going to stand out for and be known for and be world-class for. And then the other has to be very good. But like there's a few things that are be world-class. And then I think that, um, you know, it's always possible, if you will, to um, to do that in a, in a marketing way if that's the most efficient. It's been really interesting. One of my clients is one of the um, largest TikTokers um, from the Korean market and actually around the world. And what's been interesting in spending time in the social media space is seeing that within the TikTok or within the social media stories that are being told, what's important is the message and not the exact conveyance of it. And I'll give you an example. So imagine if you're printing a t-shirt and you put it through the press and then you have to first take off the the layer of um, plastic, which the, the print is on sometimes. Um, that is actually how it's done, if you will. But if you were telling the story through, uh, social media, you might like get rid of some of those steps that are actually done to just more convey the message that this is what the process is. And and that's sometimes what I see as a mistake in, in social media usage or in even messaging where someone wants is more into the accuracy than what they're trying to convey. If that makes sense. So actually limit some of the details so that you can get a wider audience. Right. Exactly. Like simplify to get your main message across. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed that it actually drives me insane is I'll see like a, a TikTok or somebody on even like Reddit and they'll have, uh, you know, a hundred thousand views on a screen print but they're doing a terrible job. They're in a garage and it's 20 seconds and it's like, okay, how is it that real print shops with actual skills get 80 views and this person has a hundred thousand in a garage doing it wrong essentially. Um, And I think it's probably because of what you're saying is they do such a simple presentation that it's easier to understand and it has more wide appeal. Yeah. And also don't forget your, if you remember what, you're communicating for is to convey a message and it's not really a how-to manual, right? It'd be different if you're saying this is how you do it, like, like how you, so you can do it yourself. But if you're just trying to say in general, you kind of do this and do that and make it simple, um, then the, the message is clearer. And, and the irony is, you know, some of the best things in life, um, the masters make it look simple, but we all know we're going to the master because it's not that simple. Yeah, right. I always watch these uh, like these craft videos where they do different stuff with wood, and it'll be like you know building furniture or whatever. And in a day, they'll have these like amazing pieces of furniture that I know that if I tried to do it, it'd be a complete disaster. But they are presenting it in a YouTube video that's fifteen minutes. So I I understand what you mean, where they're not really teaching me how to make furniture they're more just making me feel good about watching a process get completed right right or sometimes you know it's like if you think about like you know like if you imagine if you're watching a video on how to how to make a cake you know you don't even though most of the times actually sitting in the oven baking you're not sitting there for half an hour watching the baking process right right you just kind of notion you put in the oven and then you somehow you know, time, time takes it out. Right. And so on the video, you just want to see those key points. Um, so one thing that I always wonder about is when we go and look at, you know, putting out a social media presence, is it good for me to be walking around with my cell phone and just kind of posting random stuff? Or should I be worried about my 
company always having a professional photographer, videographer as the eyes of um, our company. Um, I see it kind of go both ways. I see some YouTubers where their personal identity is at least 50% of the brand, and it's really helped them that they're unbelievably hands-on. But then there's other companies I see where every single thing they put out is professional, and they would never allow one of their staff to just like walk around with a cell phone, post some random picture and put it on their um, feed. What are your thoughts on that between, you know, just like the owner walking around versus professional photography? Um, well, first off, it depends how good the owner is <laughs> with the photography. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, and, you know, I, you know, if we speak specifically about social media, I think that what we're definitely seeing is the social media that's apparently just uh, off the cuff, not staged, if you will, does does better sometimes than than two state. I mean, obviously, if it's like meant to look like a commercial, then that's completely different. Um, <clears throat> but also, I want to say, you know, don't be fooled by what looks just like all really off the cuff. Um, that is not necessarily. Um, stage of stuff. I mean, if you really go back to what acting is, right, acting's not supposed to look like you've performed it a thousand times, but it, it is, you know, oftentimes rehearsed a lot before it's actually um, shown. Um, and because if, if the, you know, they say when you look at um, media, <clears throat> there's kind of three authors, there's the writer, the photographer, and there's the editor. And so, you know, I, I often, um, what seems just like a, just like a real posting of life, if you will, if you look carefully, um, and think about it, oftentimes it's actually very well edited. So you don't really notice it, but you know, so for example, if you I'll go back to baking a cake example, when you see someone like showing you how to do something, it's not that often that's just one single camera view, right? Oftentimes you're seeing close up on this, this is all that's pre-chopped, et cetera. So there's um, you know, the, the, the art is oftentimes making it look like it's just off the cuff, but oftentimes it's not, it's, I always joke, it's sort of like inviting someone over to your house and like, oh, sorry, it's a little messy, but oftentimes we know that someone has like cleaned up yeah, before. You cleaned for four uh, hours. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, don't worry. Or yeah. yeah, I barely studied for this, you know? Um, but, uh, but what, and when I was referring to in, in, in the beginning about one of the things where, you know, investing in a franchise can save a lot of the startup time was when you are going to be using diff- other people, right, in, in your in your media posts, right? You have to have their permission. Um, and, and oftentimes when there's a group of people, right, it, it takes a bit of work to get it right. And, and obviously you've got to get everyone's permission, et cetera, et cetera, for, for that use. So um, not that it's hard, but it just takes time. Um, and, and it was interesting. I was um, involved in, in shooting some media the other day. And so like we, we literally, you know, prepped uh, several times what our movements would be once we got kind of asked the the act, other. It was really just people uh, in a, the crowd to kind of come in. 
And, and, you know, sure enough, there's so many things that happen that you can't uh, even, you know, that you don't really imagine, like the height of the people that are in there, they're blocking certain things, they can't take well to direction. And then as you're shooting it a couple times, like all of a sudden someone's like, oh, I have to go. I thought this would take like literally two minutes and maybe it took four, right? But they're like, oh, I have to go, I have to go. And then you can think of all your shots now have completely changed because now you just lost one of your people. So, so it is what can oftentimes seem haphazard is not that haphazard. Um, and it actually takes a lot of work to make it seem casual, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, We've done some videos with Bella Canvas, which is one of our distributors. And we'll put out a video with Bella Canvas that the content is like six minutes. And we'll shoot for like four or five hours. And it's because all those little three-second edits were like 20-minute projects. So we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's kind of amazing how much work goes into something that feels like it's a higher quality edit. Um, we actually, we filmed our move to the new building and we had a camera crew here at least like 40 something hours total just so that it could look like they happened to be in the building on random days while things were happening. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right about how creating content can take so much longer and look so much easier than it truly is. Um, my question about influencers, though, like if you're not charismatic, but you have a good product, you have a good service, what have you seen as far as paying influencers to come in and maybe make content that they then share on their own uh, platforms, or maybe they just make content for you? Have you seen a lot of success with that because they're the ones with the audience? You know, it's interesting. Um, Social media is changing very fast and different things. I think that, you know, first off, if you go back to all of us as viewers of social media, right, it's not very interesting to just watch a channel with like somebody advertising stuff all the time, right? And also, if you think they're kind of paid, you're like, well, is this really authentic? And do they really believe in this, right? Even, Even though ironically, you know, studies have shown that People tend to value more the the validation from someone they don't even know than than someone they do know in that aspect. Um, but my, I would say that if if one were interested in putting product within uh, using social media, one, I think that <clears throat> back to my first thought of it having to kind of hit you um, at least like seven different times. It, that can be done through different ways of sharing about the product or through different influencers. So it's like ideally through a campaign as opposed to just one person, one time type of thing. And then secondly, to my point about not necessarily being a commercial per se, but potentially like a placement or some association with something that I could see potentially being um, more uh, effective. Um, you know, it's interesting that uh, the 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 Squid Games, right? I, I don't know if you know the the Netflix show Squid Games, the which biggest kind Netflix of, show of all time. Yeah, right. There you go. Okay, so as you know, like that was, um, uh, I, I think it was was it green or something? Those 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 uniforms within the film, um, and, and and then people who are doing social media on it, um. I know I was talking to someone and they said, well, they didn't have green anymore because it like sold out because of the show. And so they did their influencing with red. 
and it, it did so well. There, I think it got a few hundred million views. Their TikTok on it that the red at the distributors got, got started getting going crazy as everyone else wanted to buy it to to make their TikTok version of that, or 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 did they just like the color? Um, and, and, and they certainly were not saying, Hey, buy this outfit here. Right. It was, it was just kind of like really a product placement within that aspect. Right. Um, and so sometimes, uh, that can be very effective within that. Um, and I think, and as we all know, though, with marketing, you never really quite know what will, will take off or what won't. Right. So that's why I think it's sometimes good to, not put all your eggs in one basket, um, but to think with one's thinking the social media thing to to get more than one video done and potentially um, buy the same creator and different things or across different things uh, within that. Um, you know, it's actually funny. Like I was once, um, um, my daughter on her channel, she was just talking to me um, and I said something. She's like, do you mind if I film you? Just say what you said again. I did that and it took the whole, and that was really called not rehearsed at all. It took maybe a minute, the whole transaction back and forth. And, and that got a couple million views, uh, you know. Oh, wow. Viral, what did you say? And then someone picked it up and put it across. And uh, so it's sort of like, you never know what it will be. Um, and then, um, but what is important to learn from is each time when one's, one's doing something, I really believe in this thing called kind of like um, agile uh, marketing, which, which is really kind of just like you just do it and pivot, do it and pivot and learn from what you do. Because that that's you, you never really know whether which product, which, which, which marketing campaign, et cetera, will take off. So do you think consistency of output is the key then? Because it is kind of a bit of a crapshoot there that it's more about you putting things out, you know, biweekly or something than it is going all in on one concept. Yeah. Or like testing it and pivoting within that. They, they call it like the Udu loop a lot in terms of, they found like the, 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 I think it was world war two, the, the, sh- the pilot, the shooters um, from the, the fighter planes, they were saying the ones that actually had the most um, successful hits were those who shot the most. And so as a percentage of successful hits was actually lower than the others, but because they kept shooting and just adjusting and adjusting, then that was it. Now, that being said, uh, marketing slightly different that if you put out an awful thing, you know, you want to take it, you know, the, you know, you can take it off your channels and as just as well as put it on, right? So you just because you put it out there and it may, if it doesn't do so well, you, you could potentially take it off because one of the things that in this crowded um, space of um, consumerism, you, you know, help people focus on what they can focus on, right? So if you have too much stuff with the good mixing with the bad, then you don't know what's good. Yeah. Have I, you ever been to those restaurants where sometimes the menu is really small and it make, it's like so nice? Yeah, it's why everyone loves In-N-Out. Right. It's, it's like, I'm going to get a burger. I can't even get chicken strips. I just, that's it. I'm there for the burger. Exactly. Exactly. And so if they want to put on a few new things, right, they can try it, see what works, but like, don't make it like a zillion all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, unless, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a good analogy until you realize that like Cheesecake Factory makes a fortune also, and they do have a bazillion options. So it, I mean, it, for me, when I, because it's a service, 
if somebody comes to me and says, I need you to do, uh, you know, leggings, I know I physically can do the leggings. So it's not in my best interest to turn down the work and say, sorry, we only have seven T-shirts to choose from. Limiting my menu in that way would just kind of limit the fact that we're doing things that are custom. Um, But I understand also confusing people. So on our website, we try to limit what we're suggesting to clients. I think we only have like 16 products that are considered like our best sellers that we're offering. And then if somebody wants something custom made, then we're open to the discussion, but we're not kind of presenting that on our website. But on the other hand, Cole, you could actually say what you're selling is slightly different, like kind of printing or or customization. And so if you offered, there are like, 50 ways I can customize it, whether, you know, not just simple embroidery, but is it this type, this type, this type, that would confuse the heck out of a, a neo, you know, a new, a newbie in the market. It totally does. Yeah. Even just telling them the different ink types totally confuses them. Exactly. Exactly. Because they don't even know what the questions are. So there right. it would be, um, helping them say, or say, these are the op or at least putting a structure in place to sort of say, this is the type of option. So, you know, like I'll even say within our coding languages, I mean, there are many different ways that people to try coding, but we definitely have the more tried and true and recommended path given our experience, you know, and that's what, that's what we typically like to go with because, um, you know, just it helps people because sometimes when you're be beginner and something or new to something, you don't even know the right questions to ask. Yeah. And and that comes back to figuring out how to present that hopefully before they even start the sales conversation. Because I know that, um, you know, I I would say that my company is losing the most business to somebody humongous, someone who's like a, like a custom ink where it's dumbed down. Their website is phenomenal and they're catering to, you know, the soccer mom kind of clientele. And so I can either niche down and offer, you know, I'm doing this for brands and merch management companies, and hopefully they either understand why I'm a better alternative for them, or I can kind of market to them directly, or I can try to compete with that widespread custom ink, you know, advertise on TV kind of a company. And in that case, I guess I probably am doing a bad job. So I think we, I mean, that's why we've been focusing on catering more business to business. Um, But it's a hard thing to battle because you don't want to turn down opportunities, especially when you're a small business. You know, if somebody offers you money, it's hard to say, sorry, it's not my focus. I think, you know, one of the biggest things I would say to anybody who's breaking into business is to focus on what your niche is. Like, what is your niche market? So if you tend to print a lot for, I'll just say, for example, like a car company, right? then then you can imagine that at with you if you have a very happy satisfied customers other people in that same business will be asking that customer well what exactly is it and they're also like what um you know like i can imagine like car enthusiasts or car lovers or people that that might be recipients of the products there's like there's things that are certainly hot at a certain moment within there and so if you kind of even focusing within that aspect then you know, I could see um, where that is. Um, like, for example, you look at um, within the clothing industry, a lot of people focus on, like, say, yoga lovers, right? But it's not as if 
everyone's going to be buying, you know, the Lululemons or the Alu Yoga for yoga, right? But it is like that, that kind of niched in that market. And this type of person is like this. I mean, already the person who does yoga is somebody who's health conscious, is relatively affluent in the sense that they can even be thinking about you know, their health, right? Like as a big focus in their life or that sort of thing. And so they're kind of filtering out a lot of things already. Um, and some by, I think by, even though one often feels by niching, one is closing the market by niching. One is kind of defining their strength. And it doesn't mean you have to turn away other customers. It's just, as like, that's where the focus is at the time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with somebody like Aloe Yoga, um, their branding is obviously always going to be healthy, but they're absolutely selling to people who just like being comfy when they walk their kids to school. So, I mean, you see those products getting sold to people who are not working out in them all the time. Um, So I know what you mean where the brand message does, it should be clear. And then the fact that other people adopt it or like that message, regardless of not being the actual fit, it does make sense that that would be a clearer message and not just trying to embrace everyone in your marketing. Yeah, yeah. So I think like for for you, if I'm thinking now in terms of as you're doing custom printing, since you could say you could probably print on anything, you might start saying, okay, what are the hottest, maybe it could be like, what is the hottest fad of things that people kind of want and to be like, what is to know like what is cool and to be able to print on that? Yeah, I mean, I we've we've messed with that before where it's like we can absolutely write print on, you know, shirts that are made out of recycled water bottles and we can do organic fabrics and stuff. And I think maybe for marketing that does work well, even though the truth is most people get sticker shock. But the fact that we're presenting it as we always do premium um, and then we can allow people to just kind of undersell themselves if they want to. Um, But I think you're right about us being a little too messy of a marketing message. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know what your message is, but I happen to be speak about it sometimes. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I all, I mean, I, you know, it's been so interesting. Like, if I go just back to marketing, um, what makes things like TikTok work is that, uh, for example, just the first off, the fact that's even filmed vertically versus horizontally kind of limits what the eye is seeing, if you will. And then if then you'll see that like when you're filming something. You know, what you always looking like, what's in the background? Is it in the center, upper left, upper right? Like, is it to show motion or like, what is center screen? Who else is there? What what are you hearing underneath? Um, One of the, some of the most effective TikToks actually are no words, right? So that's also can be distracting or limits what, 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 um, you know, what national, you know, who can hear it, if you will, who can really understand it. And so can you, what is the simplest way you can help people effortlessly get your message? Yeah, I think you know, that's I a think, really good point. You know, yeah, and you know. I I, uh, I struggle with that just because I, I end up sucked into a day-to-day thing. And maybe that means we either need staff for it or I have to blatantly make an effort. But um, it is difficult to kind of put out content consistently that's thought about as opposed to you kind of want to have this habit of like just pointing a camera at something as if you were showing your buddy a text message and so the best content is more intentional oh yeah i mean i think it was um was a mark twain 
like when he says, I'm writing you this letter, but if I, and, but if I had more time, I, sorry, I, I can make it shorter type thing. To, to oh, yeah, make something great. simple is a lot harder, really, um, even though it looks simpler, if you will, right? Um, but I think, you know, one of my signature talks I talk about is, you know, how six words can change your life. Um, and, and that, and there's, you know, a lot of this notion, this history around these six words and people define themselves in six words. And it's sometimes it's a lot harder to say, who am I in six words than, you know, a thousand, right? It's like boiling down the essence, um, you know, Nike's just do it, if you will, and all that. Um, and it, it is the, um, I, I kind of, with a lot of my clients, I kind of just go through an inventory checklist to sort of say, okay, you know, of all the things you can focus on, like what would you focus on? And then how do we boil this down to make it simple, um, in terms of just so you know, you're focusing on it and also in your communications, that's what you're focusing on. Um, and, and that actually is, uh, you know, exactly to your in and out analogy, um, when sometimes it's simple, it just makes it easier for people because usually when people are coming to you, they just want it done. They just want the right product for their, you know, merchandising need or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people treat our services as like a commodity, which is hard to differentiate in the market. Um, but then there's plenty of people that mess it up. So it, it is kind of one of those uh, word of mouth situations where you can promise the world and then people find out that you're essentially lying. Um, yeah. For people who want to hear more from you, I know we're going to put some links in the description, but do you have um, a website or a YouTube channel or anything that you'd wanted to let them know about also? Yeah, well, at best, just come to my um, website, which is www.pynicole.com. Awesome. And then you were talking about working with companies. Are, is that a service you do with small businesses or... Yeah, I, I work with any any size, whether individual um, solopreneurs, as well as um, uh, multi-billion-dollar companies and different things. Um, and I kind of my what I'm really here to do is to help companies go from good to great to becoming legends. That's awesome. Yeah, I I think you would definitely help. I, I, pretty much any business I know. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been a really great conversation. Great. Thank you, Cole, for having me. Yeah, thank you.